0: Well, good morning or good afternoon, gentlemen. Why don't we um, find our seats for a few moments? We're going to get our session started here. We have only a limited amount of time to cover um, the topic that we've been assigned to cover. But it's so good to see uh, so many of our brothers here who love the Lord. Uh, Let me just take a little brief survey of uh, of those of us that are here. How many of us here are, are pastors and preach every Sunday? Would you raise your hand? All right. How many of us are laymen, but we teach every Sunday? All right, praise God. Who doesn't care? <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Wanna have you open your Bibles to Ephesians? Ephesians chapter six. A couple of texts this morning, or this afternoon, should I say. Ephesians chapter six, and then we're going to go to Colossians chapter four. When the Apostle Paul asked for prayer, he asked for prayer from the Ephesians. He reminded the, uh, the people there in verse, verse 20. He says, pray on my behalf, verse 19, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. But in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was concerned about his preaching, that it would have boldness, it'd be exact what he had to say. In Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, he reminded the believers there to also be involved in prayer. And in chapter 4, verse 3, praying at the same time, the same time for us as well, that God will open for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Preaching is important, and teaching is important, that we preach with great clarity. I've been preaching now for uh, almost uh, 46 years in the same church, so it's been a wonderful journey for me to be preaching God's Word. So it's a delight to be with you this, this afternoon and just to share a few thoughts concerning our preaching and how we can be more effective for the gospel. You heard the story of that <clears throat> country preacher that was rummaging through his house and he uh, found this box and underneath the bed and he pulled it out and there he opened the box and there, was, there were two eggs and then, and then $83 next to them. And he said, uh, he went to his wife and he said, Honey, I found this box underneath our bed. Uh, what gives? Oh, she said, Baby, uh, you know, I, I hear you preach. And every time you preach, when you preach a bad sermon, I put an egg in the box. So he thought to himself, Well, you know, that's uh, only two eggs, not too bad. Well, what about, the, what about the money? Oh, when you have a dozen, I sell them for a dollar. <laughs> You know, I'm sure all of us that have been uh, preaching God's word, we've, uh, we've had our eggs. We've had. And more than we want to admit. Yeah. Uh, many, uh, many years ago, I'm, I'm speaking on, uh, uh, on preaching and teaching on preaching. Uh, there's a book by Lloyd Perry <clears throat> called Biblical Preaching. And in that little short paragraph that he entitled, eight, eight Reasons Why Speeches Fail. And that provoked me to think about why it is that sermons fail. And I came together, I brought some stuff together for our class and for myself as well to think about why it is that our sermons fail. Why sometimes we preach, we preach, we preach, and you know, we, we, don't, get, we don't get the point across. Our sermons don't go any place. And so I put together some thoughts for our seminar this afternoon that I've been teaching out at the seminary for quite some time. Ten reasons why sermons fail. Ten reasons why sermons fail. Well, you think about our sermons, the fact that most of us here were either preaching or teaching, that is our occupation. That is our profession. That is what God has called us to do. And we need to succeed. Every time at bat, we've got to get on base. We can't afford to strike out. We can't can't afford to just simply fly out. You have to get on base. And so when it comes to preaching, you know, those of us that are preaching need to be careful concerning our sermons that we really get the job done and get it done properly. So I wanted to share with you this afternoon 10 reasons why our sermons fail or why our lessons fail when we teach the Word of God. And these 10 are things that I've seen in my own life, and I've seen also as I taught preaching here for about 22 years, and I observed preaching that we all commit some of these same mistakes, not, not all 10 of them at one time, but in due time we commit most of these in our ministry, and some of us do it almost weekly, and we don't even know we're doing it. So let me just for a few moments be a help to you and encourage our hearts to become better preachers by talking about the 10 reasons why our sermons fail. Reason number one is that the preacher or the teacher fails to distinguish between an essay and a speech. An essay and a speech. There are major differences between an essay and a sermon. An essay is something that you, that you write to read. You read an essay. You read a document. You read a manuscript. And so people that write to be read, use very, they use a different style, a very complex style. And you can have a, a run-on sentences, et cetera, and there's a certain style that you use to read. But when you preach or you teach, the style is entirely different. And oftentimes in our preaching, as we go through a preaching class or we prepare for preaching, we, we adopt a, an essay style, we manuscript. And every now and then, some of us, you know, we get into the habit of writing our sermons out, and nothing wrong with our manuscripting sermons. The only problem is we take them into the pulpit, and then we read our sermons to our people, and that uh, that is a major, major issue, major problem, can be a major problem. There's a big difference between an essay and a sermon. Sermons are to be preached; they're to be verbalized. An essay is to be read, and you can stop and reread it. If you don't understand it, you reread it again. But a sermon is not. A sermon is to be heard. So you, if you're going to write a sermon to be preached, it needs to be written to be heard and using all the expressions necessary for it to be a, one that is heard. I'm a strong advocate that our sermons ought to be extemporaneous. That is, we ought to preach them from the heart and ought not to read our sermons. If you are a reader of sermons, may God have mercy upon you. <laughs> And may your people have mercy upon you. Or should I say, may you have mercy upon your people. You know, Dr. John Broadus, who wrote on the delivery of sermons, said that extemporaneous preaching is the best of preaching. We ought to all of us learn to preach extemporaneously. As fearful as that can be, as you preach or teach, we ought to learn to preach extemporaneously. There are very few of us that are good readers. There are very few of us that can actually read a manuscript in such a way that it's almost like we're not reading it, that like we're preaching extemporaneously. There are few, few of you, should I say, out there that are able to do that. I can't you know, do that. There are times when you have to read a manuscript. You have to read your, your document. You have to read your manuscript. It happens in, in very, very, you know, very, very few instances, probably at a graduation exercise, when you are the graduation speaker, Everything is so exact. Or maybe you have to give the State of the Union address, you know, and then you have to do that, or you're at a funeral where the time is restricted and you have to fit a particular time. But aside from that, there are very few instances where you have to like read your manuscript. Your people need to hear from you, from your heart, they need to hear from you. And so I would encourage us to be thinking about, if you are a reader of your Manuscript reader of your sermon, I would encourage you to learn the distinction between an essay and a sermon. And be sure that you keep those distinctions. And if you are going to read, make sure you're reading a sermon and not a manuscript. And I mean, God encourages us to preach extemporaneously. Number two, mistake number two that we commit, is that sometimes as a preacher, we elaborate the obvious. As a preacher or teacher, we sometimes have the tendency to elaborate the obvious. That is what people can read and what people can see what's on the surface. And if we're not careful, we can become so occupied with the events of life that we don't we don't really go beyond beyond what the text says on the on the surface. And when you elaborate the obvious, it results in boredom. It results in boredom, it results in people losing interest. We adopt a certain sameness, a certain sameness. Um, My greatest danger in my church every Sunday is sameness. I've been preaching at the same church now for 46 years. You know, three sermons a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Did that for almost 35 years. Now I've been preaching twice a week, Sunday morning and then Sunday night. Greatest danger is sameness. After 46 years, I mean, how many more jokes do you have left? <laughs> you know, how, many, how many more Mother's Day sermons can you find? You know, how many Father's Day sermons, you know, Easter sermons, you know, you exhausting everything. You're looking at the empty tomb, you know, the empty, empty, empty handkerchief, you know what I'm saying? You're going, you're looking everywhere. And so sometimes, you know, be careful that we don't elaborate the obvious. And so we, we're looking to get into the meat of the text to go to go beyond the obvious go beyond the obvious get into the meat of the text and it calls for it calls for diligence it goes for all for us to do our homework our homework to do to do the spade work necessary to understand the text and expose the text to bring out from the text a sense of history a sense of context a sense of doctrine You know, things that are in the text, so that people begin to pay attention. Because now we're exposing things that they, it's in the text, but they've never seen it. When you bring it out, then it comes out. If you find something in the text that no one has has ever seen, you're a liar. You know what I'm saying? It's not not even there. You know what I'm saying? You're not... so be careful that we don't, we don't elaborate the obvious. Number three, mistake number three that we can make when it comes to preaching is that we can assault the dignity of the audience. As preachers, we can come to the what they call the sacred desk, the pulpit, and something can happen. As we get into the pulpit, we, we may change, we may metamorphose into something entirely different. And we may sometimes assault the dignity of the audience, a man that turns them off. It turns them off. They just stop. They just tune out. They can sit there, but they're they're done. We don't want anybody assaulting my dignity. We don't want anybody assaulting my person. And we preachers need to be careful with that. And so we, we don't want to preach down to people. We don't ever want to give the impression that we're better than they are. Because, you know, when it's all said and done, we're simply servants of Christ. Agreed? We're servants of Christ. We're the doulos. We're the doulos of Christ. That's who we are when it's all said and done. want well, to be careful that we don't adopt a holier-than-thou attitude. That somehow we're the men, we're the men of God. You know, we are like we. We have the Shekinah over us. And we have this glow over us, and it's really just the light shining on your head. That's what it comes down to. Ain't no glow there. And we get the impression that sometimes we, we never sin. We never sin, and we, we know who we are. You know, So as we preach, we want to alternate the pronouns. We may use the you, but many times the we. We, we're we. And as I'm preaching away, sometimes I, I'm preaching on sin or on something that our folks need to know, and I, I utter beneath my breath or to myself, Montoya, this is for you. I'm talking to you now because the sermon needs to be for us as well. So be careful that we don't, we don't give the impression that somehow we're just above, holier than people are. We sometimes insult the intelligence of people by the way we, we, uh, we, we phrase our wordings, by the way we put our thoughts together, We may sometimes work hard to have them understand what we're trying to say to get the impression that sometimes like we're smarter. We have a, you know, we've gone to seminary. We have my, I have my BA and I have my THM and my PhD and McDLT and everything else that goes with that, you know, and you know, know, when you've preached a while and you've been around the block a few times You know, like the Apostle Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? True? No one. No one. It takes everything you have and then some. Everything you have and then some to minister to God's people. None of us is intelligent enough. Every now and then, God has his bright lights out there. You know, the occasional genius out there, you know. Charles Spurgeon, you know, Jonathan Edwards, John MacArthur, people like that. Then there's you. And there's me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You? Yeah. So you got to be careful that we're not, you know, we're not assaulting. You know, we never, never want to use the pulpit as a bully pulpit. You know, don't take the pulpit and, and use it as a bully pulpit to beat up on people. Great temptation, especially when you have schisms. You have opposition. Very easy for us to take the pulpit and use it as a bully pulpit to, uh, to attack people restrain yourself. May God uh, help us always to maintain an attitude of love and affection and never want to insult or embarrass folks from, from the audience. Sooner or later, folks are going to find out who you really are. It, it takes a while, but they found out who, that you're not, you're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as holy as you think you are. You know, you're not as great as you think you are. And it's good to know that. Because when it's all said and done, as somebody described, he described preaching this way. Preaching is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Isn't that true? When it's all said and done, it's simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So let's be careful that we don't turn off the audience. We want them to listen to us. Mistake number four, mistake number four, is that the preacher has no definite thing that he seeks to accomplish. Then when we prepare our sermons for our manuscripts or put our sermons together, lessons together, they are in exercise in futility because they're going nowhere. They go nowhere. There's no definite thing that we plan to accomplish. Now, let me say something. I don't want people to be offended. I want you to catch it in the context. We, we emphasize strongly the, the, the art of preaching expositionally, taking books of the Bible and just going through them and preaching the books of the Bible we call that exposition. If we, make, if, we're, if we don't understand that properly, we may think that exposition is an end in itself. That as long as we're going through books, we're being faithful to the text, and we're being faithful to the calling. And that's a big mistake. Exposition is a means to an end. It's a means to an end. So I'm asking you, so what are you preaching on Sunday? Well, I'm going through John chapter 6. No, I'm asking you, what are you preaching on Sunday? Well, I'm going through John chapter 6. Well, that's not a sermon. That's not a sermon. What is the point of your sermon? What do you plan to accomplish from that? You see, every book in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, has a purpose to it. When the author sat down to write the book, there's a theme to every single book of the Bible. And our job in exposition is to take the theme and preach the theme. The whole motive of preaching is more is, is moral action. The whole moral, the whole purpose of the scriptures, us to present every man complete in Christ. That every man be thoroughly prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. See, the purpose of exposition always has an aim to it, has a purpose to it. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll be preaching what I call sausage sermons. You know, you ever heard of a sausage sermon? You know, it's like the old, in the old, old days when you want to buy sausage, you just, they cut you a piece and they gave it to you. Well, give me a bigger piece, give you a bigger piece. And sometimes our sermons are like that. We just start, we, we do the old J. Vernon McGee. Well, friends, welcome again to the preaching of Ephesians chapter six or <laughs> Ephesians chapter two. We're going to pick it up where we left that yesterday in, in verse three, for, verse three, the, the second f- part of verse three. And then you continue for 29 minutes. Well, folks, our time is up. We got to stop right here. We cut the sausage and then we go home. <laughs> well, what's that about? You ever catch yourself doing that? You, know, you open your Bibles to Ephesians 2. You open and you be read the text. Now let's continue our discussion. Now look at verse 5. And, you go, and then you wail on for the next 30, 40 minutes. Then you look up. Oh, folks, our time is up. So let's stop here. We'll pick it up next week. What's that about? That's not a sermon. It's a Bible. You're going through the text. You're going through the Bible. You want a sermon. There needs to be a a purpose. If it's the purpose of the text, then preach the purpose of the text, but get it done. And and this is why sometimes our purpose go nowhere because they have no, they really have no purpose. What, what What was your proposition last Sunday? What was your theme of the sermon? What's your thesis statement of the sermon? It should be as clear as clear can be. Up in the San Gabriel's up here, some great mountains and some great trails to go hiking. And there's only one particular trail where you go up there and then you cross this bridge, or way up on top, you cross this bridge and it goes right into the side of a mountain. It's called the Bridge to Nowhere. It says a big sign, the bridge to nowhere, and it is. It goes nowhere. Somebody There used to be a tunnel, and they covered it up, and now a bridge to nowhere. Our sermons sometimes become like that, sermons to nowhere. We're just taking the Bible and reading it and then explaining it, but we're preaching sermons, and, and sermons fail because they really have no purpose. There's nothing you want to really accomplish What is it you want me to do with this sermon? There's always has to be a so that. I want the people to be moved to something specific, something that I want them to act on. And and I suppose that many times the reason why our people don't change is that we don't preach for change. We don't have any purpose on preaching. Let me illustrate. When I I, preach on giving, I used to preach on giving every year. Uh, every year, faithfully, um, always three or four sermons on giving. And I would start, uh, you know, because churches always need more money. Is that true, preacher? Yeah. Yeah, two of you are honest. And so I'd preach, and I would not take an offering during the when, I, when I preached on giving. I'd give the announcements, and we'd do all the stuff, but I would not take an offering. It would be at the end of the service. Because I expect to have a bigger offering at the end of the sermon than before the sermon. Yeah, see, this is, so you're looking at preaching for, with a purpose. And if our sermons do not have a definite thing that we want the people to accomplish, then there's no way for us to gauge whether it's effective or not effective. Matter of fact, we might say we failed because we gave them no, no, no direction. If you're a school teacher, if you're a public school teacher or private school teacher, You know that every teacher teaches with a lesson plan because you're taking the class in some direction. You're not just like a substitute teacher just saying, read your books for the next hour. No, you're taking them in some direction. Preachers doing the same thing. I'm moving you in a direction. And sermons then will fail where there's no definite thing that we have that we'd like to accomplish. Number five. Number five. We fail perhaps in this way that the preacher expects too much from the audience. We expect too much from them. And this is, so, this is so natural. It is so normal for us when we preach to expect more from the audience. And so then we sometimes blame them. Well, you know, Montoya, they just don't get it. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching the word. I'm expositing. I'm, I'm laying out the meat, and they just, they just don't get it. It's just their fault. They don't appreciate great teaching, great preaching. You know, uh, friends, uh, we sometimes expect just too much from the audience. For example, we, we, uh, we expect that they come ready to listen, that they come ready to listen. I mean, guys, to be honest, you guys are easy to speak to because you come ready to listen. You know, you bring your Bibles, your heart is ready, you're ready to listen. Listen. And I'm sure that in your churches, it's not like that. You know, they just don't come expecting, you know, to listen. There are a few, a few you know, nice people that, you know, come with that expectation, and the rabble then just shows up, you know, and they come in. Like, I don't know about you, but we're a Hispanic church. In our church, everybody's late all the time. <laughs> no, yeah, they're just late. Anybody else in that category? Yeah, you see, late. Yeah, I'll try to have a real nice Anglo worship service one time, you know. Because <laughs> yeah, they're different, you know. Anglo Anglo service, they're all there on time, you know. Uh, 10 to 9, they are all the place is packed. 10 to 9. Our, our place doesn't fill until 9.30, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it took an offering at 9.05. Two dollars in the offering plate, you know. That will never do. That will never do. Listen, listen. Follow me now, follow me. You need to, because of that, we need to provide an introduction to the sermon. Don't just open the text and introduce it. Why do you need to hear what I'm going to tell you? Why is it important? I need to get your attention, bring you together, so that you'll be ready to hear what I have to preach to you. We, we sometimes think that they know more than they really know that they really know their Bible. And friends, you know by now that our, our culture today is basically illiterate when it comes to the Word of God. For the most part, we're speaking to an illiterate audience. I uh, was just reading about Lord Shackleton, the uh, explorer south uh, to the Antarctic. He had, took with him a library, got down there, and in his library was a, was a Bible. Bible. And when, he, when, he was, when they had to abandon ship and, and walk a thousand miles to, to free themselves, save themselves, he cut two pages out of his Bible. He cut, a, he cut Psalm 23 and then Job 38, where God spoke about the creation of the ice. I mean, the man knew his Bible. Man knew his Bible. Today, we don't have that. Our people don't know their scriptures. So we can't assume, we can't even assume they bring Bibles with them to church. You ever notice that? And, uh, and pity some of you if you don't even use your Bibles when you preach. Pity some of you having an overhead and you put one verse up there. And that's it. That's all you teach is one little verse. Friend, that's, that'll never do. Well, that's like canary tongue. You, that will never do. There's no meat there. Where's the beef? Show me your Bibles. See, you don't even bring Bibles to this place. <laughs> I'm glad you do. This is exciting. But our people don't. And so we want to encourage them to bring the scriptures. I'm, I'm, old, I'm old school. I, I, want, I take my Bible and I, I want folks to bring their Bibles. They can bring them electronically, but I want them to bring them. I want to see cell phones. I want to see iPads. I want to see smoke signals. I want to see something out there. <laughs> And our people do not know how, they don't even know biblical exegesis. We need to show them that. In other words, we need to, we we expect too much from them. We even expect for them to apply the text. We have an argument, ongoing argument. Do we apply or don't we apply? Are we supposed to apply the passage or or should we just let God apply it? Friend, the answer is obvious. That's why God has you there. You are to do the application. Look at Nathan and David. Who did the application? Nathan had to do the application. And the knucklehead David didn't even even get the story. Remember that? He didn't even get the story. He had to do say, you're the man. And that's our job as well. We expect too much from our people. So understand that we need to just understand that don't take everything for granted. Work through. Number six. Number six. Let me encourage us also that the preacher tries to get without giving. Well, oh, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is so important. We try to get without giving. We want the people to listen to us, to respond well to us, to, uh, to, to turn and repent and follow with us. But before that ever happens, we need to earn the right to be heard. I'll repeat that. We need to earn the right to be heard. Now, when you have credentials, when you've been around the block a few times, when you have half a dozen books that, you're, that you've penned, you have some credentials. But if we don't, if this is our first church, we don't have a whole lot behind us. You know, you sign your name, Alex Montoya, and then uh, there's no alphabet behind that. You know what I'm saying? You need to then earn your right to be heard. And how how do you earn your right to be heard? It's called ethos, high ethos. When you have high ethos, people listen to you. When it's low ethos, they don't listen to you. When you have high ethos, how do you gain high ethos? Always by practicing what you preach. When you practice what you preach, that gives you high ethos. The man believes his message. You watch him. The man believes his message. Gentlemen, Your people are watching you all the time. They're scoping you out. They're scoping you out. They want to see, does this man really practice what he preaches? Is he a good husband? Does he he love his wife? Is he a good father? Is he an honest man? Is he a kind man? Is he a holy man? Forever they're, they're asking that question. And the more you practice what you preach, the higher your ethos becomes and you're earning your right to be heard. So if you're a young preacher, don't be, you know, don't be too discouraged of your people like, you know, shine you on from time to time. The time's on your side. Just keep being faithful and show that you're endeavoring to be the man of God that God has called you to be and your ethos will begin to improve. Second one is this one. The people need, need to know that you really care for them, that you really care for them, that you desire their good. The whole purpose of preaching, gentlemen, is to help people. You're there to help the congregation. You're, help to, you're there to move them along in their journey. You're, you're there to make them more Christ-like. You're there to perfect the saints into the work of ministry. You're there to comfort them and and console them in their journey to heaven, you're there, your number one job is to help them. That's how we exist. But if we're not careful, we turn it around and we think that we're the spotlight, that we're there to demonstrate and, and we're there to showcase our great oratorical skills and that's not what it's about. We're there to help them, we're there to help them you know sometimes after the service people say you know pastor that was that was a good message that was a good sermon or if you you really the really new father that was a good mass they'll say that sometimes <laughs> and my response is always did I help you did I help you yes you did then then I'm I'm satisfied because it can be it can be nice but if you weren't helped what good is that did I help you Did I help you? And so it's important that we recognize that we are there to help them. So we have to earn the right to be heard. And with that comes, do I love them? Do I love my audience? Do I love my people? Have I told them that I love them? Have I shown my people that I love them? Your people need to know that you love them. They need to know. And gentlemen, some people are just hard to love some of our churches are have people that are hard to love agreed yeah yeah there's all of us some we are hard to love sometimes ask your wife about it she'll tell you (laughs) and yet our our mandate is to love our people and when your people know that you love them when you know and you're shown that you love them they are ready to listen to you if your people know that you love them you cannot preach a bad sermon. I'll repeat that. If your people really know that you love them, you cannot preach a bad sermon. And there are times when you're preaching and you know it's bad. You know it's bad. You're into it and you say, "Well, this is this is really bad, you know. Like this is like going over and you're looking at the clock and you're hoping that something happens and and, and you're trying to get some energy and you, you, you shout more and you move more. but ain't going nowhere. It's like it's dead. It's like the egg is just being hatched, you know, a huge egg, you know. And you look up and your people know that. They're looking at you and they know that something's going on. Something's going on. I like the black churches. Preaching the black churches because they, they talk to you. They talk to you. You know, and, and when you're going south, I mean, when you're going south, Someone say, help him, Jesus. You know they I mean? do. Help him, Jesus. You know you're you know you're sunk. I mean you're done. You're, you're cooked, baby. You're cooked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's that's, that's beautiful. That's, it helps you. You know, that does, you know. You know, says cultures are different. Anglo cultures, they just look at you. You know? Hispanic culture, they look down. <laughs> Black culture talks to you. Help him, Jesus, you know, right there, you know. They just. So it's, it's important for us to, to see that. You know, you have to, they have to, does he understand where I live? They're asking. Does he been in my, does he live where I live? It's so important that we we become incarnate. We, we, we become like our people. There's a beautiful film that my wife and I just love to see. It's called McFarland, USA. It's about this, uh, this Anglo Anglo coach that goes to a little town here in Central California, McFarland, and it's all Hispanic, and there are farm workers there. Beautiful. Just a, it's just an example of this, and he's the Anglo, he's the Anglo coach in a you know, in a brown little town of farm workers. And his name is White, his last name is White, they call him Blanco. A hey, Blanco, you know, the, no no respect, a hey, Blanco, you know. The kids play Blanco. He tries to get this cross-country team going, Blanco. And so he he he, he does the unthinkable. He becomes incarnate. He lives in McFarland. You know, he owns. He owns the town. It becomes part of the town. He even goes out and he does farm work with the kids in the farms. And then they change. Instead of calling him Blanco, they call him a coach. A coach. Now he's one of them. Now they listen to what he has to say to them. Same thing with us people. You have to, you have to be, your, your people have to be yours. You've got to be like them. And, and, and. And when that happens your ethos is really high really high because this guy belongs to us he's our teacher he's our preacher he's earned the right for us to hear him and we will hear him because of who he is so your sermon may fail because there's a separation there's a gap there's a moat around you you're elite you don't belong to that crowd you're the messiah But you're not an incarnate Messiah. And that'll never do. That'll never do. Number seven. Number seven. Preachers, they fail to recognize the people's limited power of listening. We recognize the people's limited power of listening. Our folks today, folks today are not not trained to listen. We're not trained to listen. We're not trained to listen you know, to long, long dialogues and long discussions, complicated. If we're not careful, we may adopt what Dr. Mayhew used to call the dump truck mentality, where you spend uh, 20 hours in the text looking at the Hebrew, looking at the Greek, all the commentaries, all the theology, all the stuff, and we have this bundle of information to give to our people. You back up the truck and then you dump everything on them. And just everything, all the stuff you gave them, all in one sermon. And they're like wallowing. They're just like, that'll never, can't can't take it. And that'll never do. When it's all said and done, all that you've studied for, you'll only really probably give up maybe 10, 20% of all the stuff that you learned. 20% will go out to the people and 80% is just for later on. And that's okay. That's just the way preaching is. But you can't give them 100, all 100% of it because no one no one can take that. None of us can take that kind. And so understand that our modern audiences are not trained. They're not trained to focus on long arguments. Or, you know, long. I mean, think about your emails that you get. You get an email that goes on for three pages. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? Talk to me now. Oh, you delete it. You don't care if it's John MacArthur emailing you. I'm like, this thing's gone. I'm, I don't worry about, it. see, we are not accustomed. We don't, we don't read long stuff. We, 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 we go to that short. And so the issue is that we need to focus on helping our audience to learn to listen to us. And we can do that. We can help our audience to learn to listen to us to learn the art of listening. Let me just recommend some things. Number one, always have clear structure. Clear structure. Make it obvious uh, what your structure looks like. Use the obvious. One, two, three. Right? What do, what's your structure this mo- This afternoon? Ten. Ten. So the structure. Use one, two, three, or use A, B see. And so that helps because then it helps them to know what the structure looks like. I mean, what direction we're going through. People love structure. A few of us don't. I mean, a few out there don't. But for the most part, we like something organized. We like it structured. Even an inductive sermon is still structured. It has movements going in one direction, but it has some structure to it. So make a clear structure. Secondly, make sure that there's your structure simple structure even even like 10 is almost stretching it because 10 is stretching it, but but this audience can be stretched because we have the cream of the crop sitting right here these are like the iqs of 160 is the average here this 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 afternoon but you have to have your your, your it's got to be listen folks we're not the puritans You make the mistake of you're reading the Puritans, oh, Edwards, oh, you know, here's John, you know, John, John Owen, and then there's, you know, and then, and then we preach like them. Point number one, God's sovereignty. Observe these 18 observations of sovereignty of God. (laughs) I'm out of here. People started to, (laughs) that's the Puritans. The Puritans, you know, but, but they were like great preachers. But their people were also, they could listen forever. <laughs> you got it? And then clear structure, simple structure, and repetition. Repetition. Teaching is taught repeating things. Think how often God repeats his themes. Amazing, isn't it? Repeats them over and over, sometimes verbatim. Exact thing again. Repetition is the way for us. Your preaching isn't linear. Your preaching is always circular, always repeating, always repeating. The key to learning is always repetition because repetition is the way you drive a nail in. You hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. And so learn to repeat. They. They don't have a chance to reread. They have to rehear. Rehear. And so, clear repetition and then clear transitions when you move from one point to the next point. When you move from this to that, tell them you're moving. Tell them they're you're changing rooms, changing locations, you're changing buses, you're changing planes. But tell them you're changing. And that helps them to move in that direction our people, our people need to know. They need, to, they, need to, they need help. And you can help your people to learn to listen to longer sermons if they learn to follow this. Uh, I have folks coming after the service saying, by the way, Pastor, what was, what was point number six? I, that's good. It means they're, they're getting it. They're getting it, but I failed because I didn't make it so clear in the transition that we moved from five to six. So I didn't repeat point number six. But when you get that you know you're moving in a certain direction. Number eight, number eight, we fail in our sermons when we don't understand the techniques of persuasion. When, a, As a preacher or teacher, we don't understand the techniques of persuasion. Something we don't understand sometimes in preaching is that preaching is persuasive. The element of preaching is always persuasive. We're always making an effort to persuade someone to obey biblical truth, you see, in, in, in preaching there is a battle taking place between the preacher and the person receiving it, and it isn't like we're all like ready to are ready to receive. We're not. None of us are. Even in this room, some of us uh, some of us are are self righteous. I don't, need, I don't need this lesson, Montoya. I'm just here because, you know, I just had killed some time. But I, you're not talking to me now. Or I'm here because I brought my associate. He needs to hear what you have to say to him. <laughs> Others of us are obstinate. We're obstinate, you know. You know what? I, my mind's made up. My mind's made up. See, we're obstinate. Others of us are apathetic. We could care less. See, audience is filled with all these kinds of people. And they need persuasion. They need persuasion. And persuasion is part of your Preaching. Remember King Agrippa with Paul? Almost you, what? Persuade me to be a Christian. And what did Paul say? No, 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 King, you misunderstood me. I'm not here to persuade you. I'm here to just have a conversation with you, impart information to you, and have you make up your own mind. Is that what he said? Talk to me now. No, no. He said, yeah, I wish you would. Be just like me, except for these Chains. That's persuasion. And so, I mean, read read the Lord's sermons. They are full of all the techniques of persuasion. He used them all. Christ used them all in all of his discourses. He was always reasoning, persuading the audience. And so I ask you, look at your most recent sermon. Did you think persuasion? Did you think persuasion? Did you modify the structure? To be more persuasive? Did you analyze, analyze the uh, technique you used to deliver the message? Or is it always three points in a poem? Or do you think persuasion? See, sometimes we fail because we don't think persuasion. You're like a, a lawyer before a jury and you need to win. Talk to me now. You need to win. And so the whole element of persuasion comes into this. We don't, we don't sometimes think about that. But in all our preaching and teaching, think about the element of persuasion and move your teaching, your lesson. Even if you're a Sunday school teacher, move it in that direction so we're thinking persuasion. Rearrange your points. Rearrange your structure so it becomes more persuasive as you deliver your message Number what? Number nine. You're paying attention this afternoon. Number nine is a preacher fails to illustrate in the sermon. We fail to illustrate. Oftentimes our sermons fail because we just don't, we don't utilize the technique of illustration in our sermons. Sermons need light. Ilustrar from luz, Ilustrar. they need light. We need windows, we need to put light, light on, on the subject. Illustrations are designed to help us. Illustrations are designed to move us from the known to the, to the unknown. One of the seven laws of teaching, gentlemen, is this, to move from the known to the unknown. We're trying to teach the truth of the kingdom of God. We're trying to make God known to them. We want to open to them God's revelation, but... To the unknown, we have to tie into the known. What do they know? What do they know? And then from there, move to the unknown. Those are called illustrations. And the illustrations are the tools that God has given us. They clarify, they, they explain, they help maintain interest. They even leave an impression upon us. I mean, let me just read, let me just give the good Samaritan the Good Samaritan. We all have a picture of the Good Samaritan. That is an illustration. That is a parable that Jesus used. Or the prodigal son. The prodigal son. That is an illustration that Jesus used. And see, those are powerful. They're unforgettable. They impress the truth upon us. And when we think about our preaching, we need to utilize illustrations, learn to utilize them. Only those that do not communicate regularly downplay the importance of illustrations. But if you preach regularly, if you hear preaching regularly, if you read the Bible regularly, you'll know that it is. illustrations are a must for us to understand the truths that are here. And so, Let's, let's, let's learn the art. Using illustrations becomes an art. I recommend you look at Jesus. Look at Christ. Sermon on the Mount is classic. Go through and underline all the illustrations, both one word and longer ones that he uses. And you'll be impressed. As Mark says, he never spoke without a parable to them. He always used pictures. Little kids playing in the marketplace. Reading the newspaper about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with us. all of that is all illustrations that Jesus, I mean, they float everywhere. Look at the birds of the sky, look at your hair, it's all numbered. I mean, look at the lilies of the field. I mean, every every place he turned, remember Lot's wife. That's all he said. And with that, you caught you saw the picture. All, all of that is the proper use of illustrations gentlemen they are they are so key so important for us and uh, sometimes you get the you hear people talk about you don't need to illustrate just put the beef out there put the meat out there and and they'll eat it no I want my beef seasoned am I the only one I want, I want barbecue sauce on it and I want chile verde sometimes mixed in with it. You know what I'm saying? I don't want just a raw piece of meat. I, I want, And so we season it so that it becomes appetizing for our people. Now, some of us are meat lovers. We'll, we'll eat the cow alive if we have to. But some of us are not. And our folks, they need, they need. <laughs> My wife and I, we, we visit churches every now and and during vacation, just go visit churches and sometimes go incognito, you know, no tie, just to turn the back and just watch, you know. Went to listen to this guy, this, this church, and we went, want to, and sat there. And oh, behold, there was a master's grad teaching that day, preaching that day. And so I sat there, I was excited, you know, because, you know, and then he started to expound, and man, it was like all abstract. It was like raw. It was like the cow was just cut and thrown. It was like on the, uh, it was on the platform. You know, a leg here, you know, a hind corner there, you know, a horn over here. It was like, it was like, and I was sitting there like stunned. And my wife said, was he one of your students? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sometimes we think we're above that, you know. And, and illustrations need to be part of it. You notice how often I use humor in my preach. This is normal. This is for me it's normal to preach. Humor is part of life. Humor disarms. Humor disarms. When you when you are fighting somebody, their hands are like this. And when you use humor, yeah, they put them down. Now <laughs> you get them with the god. <laughs> So, you know, if, if, you can't, if you can't illustrate your point, follow me now. It'd be good to write down, too. If you can't illustrate your point, it's because you don't understand it. Hmm? So now we, get, now we get deep. Well, here, the uh, anarthrous use of the article is, be, you know, so we get into that. Yeah, clue what you're talking about. Because you can't illustrate it. So, Daddy, what do you mean by that? Anarthrous. Well, you know, An arthris. Say it. Anarthrous. That's what it means. Anarthrous. Now get out of here. You can't explain it. What? See, you didn't get it. If you can't, if you can't illustrate it, you don't understand it. So, always illustrate. Always light. Always light. So learn to, learn to use illustrations. Life is full of them. Your life is full of illustrations. The Bible is full of illustrations. All around you, there's illustrations. You know, buy books and illustrations. I have, I have 30 books of illustrations because I got to find something somewhere. And sometimes those books help me. And in, in illustrations, friends, there are no rules. Preaching is such a powerful thing. I have to win. There are no rules when it comes to illustrations. Beg, borrow, steal. Yeah. You're hearing John or somebody uses a great illustration. Wow, take it. <laughs> take it and use it on Sunday. And all you have to say is, "Somebody said." As I say, "Somebody said." And there you go. Wax on it, you know. Lay it out there. Preach away. And then number 10, number 10, oftentimes our sermons fail because we don't preach with earnestness, earnestness. Even our friend, Mr. Spurgeon says that in his day, that was a long time ago, even in his day, guys would come and go into the pulpit. It says they became cadavers, cadavers in the pulpit. They just stand there and this is the coffin and this is the cadaver. And there they stand, monotone, looking out, but worse, reading the manuscript. And so the, And so yesterday, I asked my wife, wife, do you love me? And she said to me, no, I don't love you. And so I said to her, what is that? And you're sitting there, and you're dead. No motion, no, no change, nothing. Friend, a dead pulpit produces a dead people. You don't want dead people. If you don't want dead people, then become alive. Now, different cultures have different levels of intensity. Anglo culture, it's not not a sin to move. Okay? It's not a sin to move. In Oriental culture, there's a sin so you can move as well. Hmm? Okay? Hispanics, no question there, you know. Uh, Listen. Listen. You need, to, you need to preach with earnestness. It's a solemn event. It's a solemn event. You know, we, you need to hear what I have to say to you. It's a heart event. You've got to feel my heart. The emotions have got to bleed through my sermon. It's a physical event. I need to be involved in using my, my entire body. The purpose for the Pope, gentlemen, is to lay your Bibles down and put your notes down and then free your body to be involved in preaching the Word of God. They need to see that. It is a focused event. You need to preach. And I can't have no distractions. You need to hear. You know, in the ill-fated Apollo 13 mission to the moon, they had to abort the mission. And they had to bring those, those men back. And they're working different ways to bring these men back. And Houston said, failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. And gentlemen, in our sermons on Sunday, in our lessons on Sunday, failure is not an option. Agreed? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing your word. Thank you for choosing us. You know, we are simply frail, 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 bodies inhabited by a frail spirit, and we need your help. This is your word you called us to preach. We need all the help we can possibly get. I thank you for these men. I thank you for them being here, for their calling to the word of God, their calling to ministry, their faithfulness as pastors, elders, members of churches. May, Lord, may you make us now even better preachers, that we be focused and committed to every sermon you allow us to preach, every lesson we can preach, to do it in such a way it brings you honor and glory and brings the people so much good. Thank you for blessing us this hour. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.